Welcome back, it's time for a beer, episode 5. This week it's Fremantle champion Mick Barlow. We talk about his time at Sheppard United through to Werribee and then winning the Brownlow almost in his first year before breaking his leg severely. He's an absolute ripper, someone who's never passed up the opportunity to have a beer and I hope you enjoy it. Of course, if you do rate podcasts, give us a rating, 5 stars, and I'll buy you a beer when I see you around town. I don't actually know what the ratings do, but please give it 5 stars and write a review, it's good, I think. Anyway, time to hear from our sponsors. Podcast people say one more star in the ratings and then we get sponsors. Yeah! <laughs> anyway guys, it's a lengthy podcast, but someone I'd love to hear from, here's Mick Barlow. AFLPA awarded best first year player. Michael Barlow after an outstanding year. Three time Ross Glendenning medal winner recipient. Barlow wins the takeaway. Fremantle 25 since 95 team. Barlow out of this world. One of the most gruesome AFL injuries that struck him down in his prime on the way to the Brownlow. I mean, my leg went that way, and my head went that way. This is Mick Barlow. That's right, it's time for a beer with a good friend of mine uh, and Fremantle champion, of course, spent some time at the Gold Coast, Mick Barlow. Uh, Mick, I saw you uh, in the intro knocking back a beer, but uh, it's time for a beer with you, mate. I've been looking forward to this for a, a long time. We've, uh, we're both big country lads uh, and both have ended up in WA. You've ventured home, but um, what an incredible career you had, mate. Thanks for joining me. No, thank X. Well, I thought the brief was, what am I, number five? Yes, five. Yep, uh, top five. Yeah, so number five, and I thought, and I, I did see, you know, following you closely on the social media platforms, I saw you've got the equipment, started the podcast. It's called a time for beer with. So, yep, when you were trying to liaise a time to do it, it just seemed appropriate that you know I, I would have all my day's commitments done. Yep, so we could actually have a beer together. So I'm actually intrigued, mate. Uh, the first four you've had, yep. I'm gonna um, you say their name, and I'm gonna say what beer. They would most likely okay. drink. What uh, I would sh- relate to them. Shuey, Luke Shuey, um, some sort of Western Australian uh, like boutiquey beer, like a Little Creatures Pale Ale. Mate, he's a vomit bomb. He's a VB man. Oh, well, he's a Victorian, yeah. But yeah. So he, 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 how, and a VB can, day, yeah, v- VB can man. Um, He's a very uh, generous man, so if you come over, he'll provide whatever he, whatever wets your whistle personally, whereas I'm just like, if you're drinking at my place, you'll drink what I'm drinking. But, he, yeah, he's a VB can. Uh, Nick Natanui. I had a night, I had a night out. Oh, yeah. Uh, Nick Natanui. I had a night out with Luke Shuey in the early days um, with Matt Rosa. So Matt yeah. Rosa was good mates with uh, Clayton Hinckley, I think it was. So they're from the, the same area, which you um, – was it Witchy Proof? Yep. Well, Warwick Nabil. Warwick yeah. Oh, the, the, the Warwick boys. Yeah, Matt Rose and Luke Shuey. Yeah. Yeah, the Warwick boys. And uh, Luke Shuey was around, but I think we might have even moved past it. But that was when I was mid-20s and yeah, you know, watching the skin fold. So I think we were drinking vodka lime sodas. Um, okay, along, that's fair. Did you go down that path? That night, but um, what's that, sorry? Did you go down the vodka soda lime path? I, I did. Before I got drafted, I was drinking you know, the... The Smirnoff, uh, yeah. raspberry Smirnoffs oh, yeah. when I was going. <laughs> sugar, plenty. Yeah. And um, sugar, uh, rotten hangovers. Gee, yeah. weird, you'd, you'd, you'd pull up dust. But you were, only, you were young enough to, to, to shake that off pretty quickly. <laughs> um, no, I did. I think, yeah, I, I think I got caught up in the, 
um, you know, the lingo of I love vodka lime soda, you know, it's good for you. You yeah. drink the water as you're out, but you're still getting it's a little bit of little bit of a uh, miss. Misconception, I think, in terms of yeah, if you're drinking, you're yeah. drinking to enjoy yourself, but um, don't worry too much about the next day. So yeah, I went through a phase of it. Still do a little bit. Still don't mind a a, a cocktail or, or yeah. something a little bit, mate, a little I'll, bit left of center. But tonight we're having a beer, mate. So enjoying that. The um, I'll take you back to um, one of my first meetings with a dietitian. Now uh, she did say on my first Christmas break that she, uh, as all dietitians would, I suppose, Mick, they do a presentation mm. saying. You know, one um, cheeseburger equals, you know, 5K yes. run, da-da-da-da. Anyway, I remember after it, she said, she drew it up and asked me how many beers I might have had in the off-season. And I sort of went through, you know, six, 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 six. Uh, and, you know, probably <laughs> underestimated a few times. She goes, just according to the uh, graph here, Dave, um, to work off those beers you've had, you need to run 395Ks. <laughs> oh, like, yeah, I always found that. A little bit of a stretch that some of those um, oh, mate, comparisons to, to what it what it'd take to to work it off, but um, no, I'm sure you and it makes you feel like garbage, doesn't it? Because you, you you hear it, yes, and it's like, well, you're in deficit deficit already, and you swear yourself off the beers, yeah. And then three or four days later, Friday afternoon rolls around, and <laughs> you've had a hard training session, so <laughs> into, into what you get. And Ross, the boss, says you got Saturdays off. You're like, right, no worries, Ross. All right, I'll quickly fight through. <laughs> Nick, Nat, what do you think you'd drink? Nick Nat, uh, well, he'd be the WA boutique. Maybe I'd um, – well, he, like, he's like Michael – him and Michael Walters are very close. And, and Michael Walters is a, um, a bourbon drinker. Mm. So maybe a, a bourbon type of operation. He, I was at his place just before lockdown. It was a, uh, a single fin number. <laughs> mm. Okay. Okay. Well, okay. That's, a, that's a WA boutique, which maybe I'm just going one after the other, which is uh, – I went that with Shuey, didn't I? I should probably just – Stuck to that. So whoever's next might be Bourbon. I mean, we're not uh, – we're dealing with pretty basic sort of people. Tommy Hawkins. Oh, gee whiz. Um, Geelong Bitter. Well, they were a dollar, a dollar a pot, I remember, when I was at uni. Geelong, <laughs> Geelong Bitter. bitter. Um, Tommy Hawkins from uh, Finley. <laughs> so Melbourne Bitter. Oh, mate, it was a it was a Carlton draft, so I'll take that. Very similar numbers yeah, to the old Melbourne Bitter. Yeah, yeah. And last one, uh, Sam Mitchell. And this is a tough one. This tough one, I don't think Sam. Um, uh, I don't reckon he'd be your real original beer, or you know, your VB cup drafts. Uh, I'm going to go with a which I'm I'm drinking tonight. I'm just going to just play what's in front of me. An yeah. Asahi, mate. I've got a confession. Nothing. He's the basics. Nothing. No, nothing. No, he had a uh, he had a uh, he had a meeting on after our Zoom, a late meeting, and I don't know who it was with, and he didn't let any details uh, out of the bag. So, I think there was a reason that uh, he did suggest it was a good idea, but just steered clear. So, uh, Mitch was uh, it was yeah, quite a bit like his footy career. He, he he didn't have a beer throughout the season. He was one of those guys that swore mm. off the beers throughout the season, but. Uh, mate, it is great to have you. And uh, as I said to you before, though, we don't have—I don't have a script or anything like that. I just love sitting down, chatting footy with people that uh, enjoy beer and love chatting about footy. Now, your career, mate, it's—it's uh, it's exceptional. And over here in WA, people in Victoria that don't know—not how big you were, but how much of a fan favourite you were. I was talking to my wife's mum the other day and said you were coming on. She says, "Oh, I just love Mick." And I was like, "Whoa, whoa, whoa! You're talking to your daughter's <laughs> husband here. Come on, give me a give me a break." But, <laughs> But the footy, let's go back to the start. You you were Shep United boy, um, Vic Country. 
What was your What was your footy as a kid and your upbringing and that sort of stuff as a kid? How, how did that play out for you? Yeah, well, probably like like yourself, as you say, Victorian country growing up. All all you liked to do was was play football, cricket, basketball, netball, whatever was going, wasn't it? So that was me. Um, I was never the I was always handy at footy and and um, kind of on the mix or on the edge, sorry, of um, kind of representative teams yeah. into leagues in in um, early high school. I was I was a bit of a late developer, which you know when you're kind of 14, 15, 16, it's a bit frustrating being a, bit <laughs> of a late developer. But away away I went to boarding school at Assumption College, and that's probably where I started to just grow in a bit of confidence. Um, and and you, you're aware as well, going to a boarding school it makes you grow up pretty quickly mm. and. In a, in a sporting concept, I grew up pretty quickly. I felt I didn't didn't get a game in the first eighteen um, regularly till year twelve. <laughs> That's crazy. Um, and played my year twelve, yeah, my year twelve uh, year all throughout it, and won the best and fairest in in a team that had you know had had some real success. We won the AGSV. We went uh, pretty well in the Herald Sun Shield. We didn't, didn't win. I think we made a semi or final or preliminary final. Yeah. Um, so I always had a knack of finding the ball and getting lots of possessions. And I think that helped me because mm. that's the first time in my footy career in year 12 that they took stats yep. and it was just the old the old pen. So, so I think they had some year 12 girls do it. Yep. Um, so the coach would get – Ray Carroll, famous coach at Assumption, would get two year 12 girls to do <laughs> kicks, marks and handballs. Yeah, lucky they didn't do tackles X because I think I would have had the goose egg. For yeah, most of the year. I mean we got the footy; it's um, hard to tackle yourself. Yeah, that's true. But I started to. I always knew I was good at getting the ball, so it helped that they actually um, documented how many possessions you got. Yeah, to go up on the to go up on the um, notice board on a Monday. And, oh, beautiful! Yeah, you know, I might have twenty five or thirty, mm. and, and all my mates would say, "Didn't see you, mate," because <laughs> all I do is get the ball and try and distribute yeah, it yeah. to others. Um, Pretty limited in what I can what I can do outside of that, and I suppose the longer it longer it all went, um, you know, year twelve, no no draft interest. My mum put me in the draft. She thought I was a, a big chance. Yeah. So <laughs> that was a bit embarrassing. She put me in the draft um, after talking to a total grand total of zero clubs and didn't, <laughs> didn't proceed to talk to any didn't yeah. proceed to talk to any clubs for another two years. Yep. So I just went and played local footy, mate. Sheffield United uh, went to university, enjoyed all the things that university has to offer. What's and I will What's stop study? right here and I'll bring up a story. I uh, studied urban planning. Yep. And I'll bring up a story right here where you come into it. You oh, would have known who I was, but I um, I was good mates and went to university, lived on campus with uh, a guy called Mick Batista. Who oh, yes. Mutual friends with, yep. with you and I uh, at, at that period. And I think it was my second year at uni. Yep. And I was starting to play some pretty good footy, but uh, albeit in, in the Golden Valley Footy League. Um, but still probably enjoying the university life a little bit too much, two to three times a week. You know, you find your uni nights and yeah. take your 30 bucks along and, and drink the $2 pots. And hopefully get a kiss at the end of the night. One night, well, that was, that was no, no, I never got one of them. I have <laughs> taken man now. So that was, um, that's uh, down to her. Hadn't kissed a girl before that. Oh, uh, of so, course. Yeah, I'm incredible journey. She's sitting over on the couch. As we <laughs> this, but, um, mate, we had a party uh, my first year living out of college and, it was a house party down the road at, at Mick Batista's mate, uh, Mick, Mick Batista's house, who's your mate. And yeah, you knew him, and like, there was a bit of a buzz around this party, X, because there was an AFL player in the midst, <laughs> and an AFL player was at the party, and I'd never bloody um, kind of come into contact with AFL players outside of a few that I grew up with that had made it onto a list, and um, that's pretty much all I did. Yeah, but, uh, 
the AFL player at this party was Xavier Ellis and <laughs> everyone was a bit like, oh, he'd be, probably been pretty well behaved and, you know, taking it pretty easy, probably drove here, won't drink, <laughs> drive home. You're, you're in the bath. You're in the bath, naked, <laughs> drinking you, you uh, that party. a bit of can. Or... I was there. It was I in was Carlton. It was in Carlton. Day, I was like, no, nah, North Melbourne. North Melbourne. Yeah, North Melbourne. Um, sorry. Yeah, North Melbourne. Near the, um, near the uh, what are they called? The markets there. Big red. And the big roundabout, you know, yep. Peel Street. So yep. you you were in the bar yep. and at, at the time, the next day, I'm like, gee whiz, he'd, he'd, he'd wake up a bit sore and sorry for himself and have to have a good, <laughs> good reflect on where his life's at and who would have known, mate, that, uh, what is what was it, what is it now, 14 years later, you've started the podcast after oh. a, a tremendous AFL career and it's all about having a beer and letting all the stories out about when you might have played up a little bit. Mate, I can't believe you were there. I'm absolutely shocked by that because I, as much as my memory is so limited, I could have had a chat to you that night for two hours. But I do remember winding up in the bath. That's all I really remember. Yeah. Nude in the bath. And they were great parties. Like that, that was university living, you know, you can't tend to gravitate towards um, students or, or, or blokes, that, blokes and girls that have the same upbringing as yeah. you, like country, um, living away from home for the first time. And you tend to, to fall in. To, um, to the same routine, like Wednesday was the uni night, so you'd go at 2 o'clock and buy a slab of Melbourne bitter and, and go and sit on the balcony and start drinking. And that, that was my kind of first couple of years out of school, yeah. all, all the while playing a bit of footy and yeah, eventually developing and, and getting uh, getting recognised at the end of that year my, my when I was 19 playing Sheffield United footy by St Kilda, mate. And yeah, I was able to go to a pre-season there. and it, uh, Yeah, it's, uh, that was a story in itself, I, I suppose. So pre so when did you go from Shep United to Werribee? When when was that crossover? So that that crossover was when I was third year out of school, which was oh yep. seven. So oh five and oh six, two years um, into my uni degree, had just gone up home and played with my brother um, at Shep United. Yep. And Shep United, we have a really um, strong family connection with that club. My mum coached the netball team there for um, oh, a long a long time. Um, think and then was a premiership coach and, and I remember that year as mothers do X and you, you'd probably sympathize with this it's your decision where you want to play footy or <laughs> your decision to do whatever essentially you want to do yeah um okay until you make a decision and then they come in over the top with a little bit of friendly advice that maybe they would do something different if they were you. <laughs> so that was my that was my first year at uni when my brother Dom and I were going to play uni for Uni Blacks, yeah, okay, um, yeah, in the amateurs, in the amateurs, and um, you know, I was pretty excited because I was invited to play in the seniors with Uni Blacks, and yep. you know, you, you, I'd established, I lived in Melbourne for about three minutes, so it was the best thing in the world. Um, <laughs> Good so footy why would club. I want to go back to that. Yeah, great footy club. Why would I want to go back to that dump, Shepparton? And, um, <laughs> yeah, and, and there. So Mum rang that night, and I remember I said, "Oh, we're going to play at Uni Blacks," and I think. From memory, the, the conversation just went, um, yep, yeah, okay. And she was pretty short. And mm. I was like, well, that didn't, doesn't sound like she might just be having a bust up with dad. <laughs> yeah. You know, I'm two hours away, so good, good luck to him. I think dad, <laughs> my, dad might have rung my brother and said, it might be a good idea if you and Michael come home and, and play footy this year. So <laughs> as soon as we heard that, and we were the source of much, much frustration in Shepparton, <laughs> mm. uh, yeah, played the two years in Shepparton. Um, and after my second year there, yeah, had some recruiters and yep. and whatnot come and look at me to to potentially get drafted, and um, 
St Kilda invited me to the pre-season, didn't get picked up and, um, yeah, the natural progression there was to, to play in the BFL. Mate, it's funny when you say that, uh, and I can imagine your old man just copping the blast at home too. Like, you, it's a bit like me. Whenever I cock up, my old man's on the end of it. Regardless, me and the brother. Whenever yeah. dad, dad hasn't done anything wrong, with mum will just give it to him. But the uh, the way, and you'd probably the same. Growing up in the country, when you're miles from anywhere, my old man used to say, "I'd come up with an idea," and I'd, I'd say to dad, "This is what I'm thinking of doing." Dad, I guess, mate, great idea. Fuck, it's going to be a long walk for you. That was his way of saying, you can do what you want to do, but <laughs> I ain't driving you. And you you're 16. You're like, yeah, right. Yeah. What do you want me to do then, Dad? No, no, no dramas. Oh, yeah. And there's, oh, gee whiz, there's um, the, the story, the memories. Oh, as old as you get, what are we now? I mean, early 30s. You, yeah. every, every, a lot of the decisions I make are around, you know, how would my parents react to this yeah. until you. <laughs> and when you're at that age, 18, 19, you're thinking, oh, I can't wait till I'm 30, 31, till I can just. Ignore what these two mm. want me to do, and um, yeah, I think that'll be the case for a long, long time. So yeah, absolutely. I'll never forget. I'll just say, tell one more story about playing um, up in Shepparton and disappointing parents. Yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> so again, play, play up in Shepparton, um, and they have a tendency in the country. X, I don't know if you've heard, but to have Sunday sessions. No, I've been um, in a few. <laughs> yeah, play and play on the Saturday, and then. Uh, wake up Sunday feeling no good for yourself, and the best way to get over that, it's uh, back into it. So down to the Sherborne, I think we went. Um, this particular day, I went with a, play, a guy called Tyson Sybottom, brother of Steel. Yep. And I've said this um, publicly a few times. I don't think it's ever, ever caught much leverage, but Tyson Sybottom is a far better footballer than Steel Sybottom. Yeah, it's uh, good footy family, isn't it? Sporting great family. Footy family. Yeah. A great sporting family. But Tyson is about. Probably nearly forty now, but he he was the most unbelievable footballer to play with when you when you're just playing country football. And he just uh, absolutely unbelievable. His work ethic um, to his own um, admission wasn't probably at the level, and <laughs> and he had no aspirations to to go any higher than to, to play country footy and play with his mm. mates and have a good time. But anyway, we ended at the Sunday session. Um, I think at about three or four o'clock because I had to go back to Melbourne. Now, I was meant to drive back to Melbourne next, but, um, you know, midday, Mick decided to um, have his first pot. And then 12.30, Mick also thought, no, well, now that I've started, we may as well keep going. Yeah. And so I got myself a lift back to back to, Mel- back to Melbourne with uh, one of the players at about 6 or 7 in the, no- in the evening. There was six VB stubbies in the fridge out the back yeah. um, before I left, and without asking, I took the six VB stubbies. That was do. like that 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 part of theft. That that uh, piece of theft <laughs> is probably the 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 lowest ebb of uh, yes. theft in it on a Sunday evening in the Barlow household. Oh mate, the last six you never take them. The um, my old man has a, has a rule too at home. He just drinks VB, and that's one beer I can't touch. You just can't physically get there because when you're a kid, that's what I pinched. And Dad will say, you come home, mate, you'll never pay for a drink, you never pay for a beer, you'll drink for as long as you want, but it's Phoebe and it's Phoebe only. And, of course, mate, I can't I – like, you could you could give me the world's biggest pile and I could not go, go – <laughs> I just can't. Like the smell, the look, oh, the taste, everything like that. So, of course, when I come oh. home, everyone at home – it's like it's like a nightclub. You walk into mum and dad's joint, and the siblings have their VIP cards and get the old free beers nonstop. And here's me walking in with my couple of sixes in the hands. Nah, the bloody good memory. The country footy, and I, I think I miss it and, and took it for granted a fraction. The country 
attachment association you have with the football netball clubs. And Shepney United's a little bit different, Lake Centre. And Shepney United's a, one of the strongest country footy clubs in uh, skill and skill wise in in Victoria. But um, fuck, I love those days. Um, so Mick, you've wound up at Werribee, where uh, team of the year a couple of times. The scouts and stuff are looking around. Uh, and it's, it's, it's come to the time where you're taking the rookie draft by Fremantle. Did you give up hope? Did you give up hope of playing AFL and you were just a good, AF, a good, a good state league player? <coughs> or were you still along the way going, no, nah, no, nah, my time's coming, I'm just waiting? Yeah, it, it's, it's, a, it's a good question because I, I alluded to the fact I did the, um, did the pre-season with St Kilda. Mm. And coming from country footy, university lifestyle, to, to a pre-season with St Kilda um, – for six weeks is a bit of a shock to the system. Like it's, um, was it six weeks? Wow. Yeah, six. Oh, it was about seven weeks. I always yeah, right. I used to, there used to be a bit of a. Geez, that's a long a gag. time. Yeah, six to eight weeks. I reckon it would have been. Yeah, I used right. to round it up a bit and say I was there for eight weeks. I got all the apparel. Yeah, yeah that's, that's the all best I thought part. I was there for to get. Yeah, I thought I was just there to get the apparel. Get um, you know, probably at the start I couldn't really fit into the shorts because I was <laughs> not in the best condition. By but by the end of it, eight weeks. Turning yourself from a country footballer into a um, that that was the period, to be honest, when I went and did that and could actually compete. Um, really daunting initially to go do it, but um, I always tell the story. I was late on my first day oh, to, to the tan run to the tan time trial. Um, I, I to this day am adamant it's not my fault because the recruiter gave me the brief, yeah, and he said eight o'clock, eight o'clock, no worries, I'll be there at eight o'clock. Got there. Um, parked as I was parking, I saw Sam Fisher, first player, and he was running. And I was like, he, does, he looks like he's running a bit faster than a warmer. And I parked the car, and I'm like, you know, again, a country kid in Melbourne. I've been there for two years, but it, trying to park a car and like, mm. trying to navigate me his way around, it was I was um, destined to fail. Jumped out, ran over to like a, a guy that looked like a coach and said, oh, I'm Mick Barlow. I'm wearing my Shep United training singlet <laughs> and country footy shorts. I go, I'm, I'm here to train. And, and this bloke thought I was an absolute dill. And he goes, well, they've started, so just run. <laughs> I'm like, right So I ran. <laughs> I ran and I was like last yes. by however long. But I'm quite a good runner. So I, I ran, I think I overtook a couple of people and – and I kind of didn't know where to finish. Again, I hadn't been really to the tan. So I got uh, the, the last bit, and you know the tan, well, the last bit of the time trial the was up that really steep bit. I was just kind of not exhausted or anything because I just ran. And it, the whole way around, I'm like, oh, what have I done? I've absolutely cooked this. I'm like, what's the point? How embarrassing is this? <laughs> yeah. Set myself for a big, big crack at this. First bloke I see when I cross this imaginary finish line, well, I see this bunch of secure players just forming a um, a circle is is Ross Lyon and I kind of make my way over to Ross and I someone I think someone obviously brought me over and said oh this is Mick Butler he's training with us and this obviously I came to know Ross really well but this will stick with me for a long time <laughs> and he just kind of looked at me and goes hmm, um, uh, eight o'clock eight o'clock start and just kind of like half rolled his eyes as he, as he became, became accustomed with and, mm. and then walked off. <laughs> and I'm like, like, that prick's not very welcoming, is he? <laughs> uh, so we ended up doing a light skill session oh. and wrapped my head around, wrapped my head around kind of 
introducing myself to everyone. I had no, I was still in my Sheffield United singlet, <laughs> training with St Kilda. Well, they've got all the kid on. And um, the next, I remember the rest of that day was just, oh, I don't even know what to do. Like, I did okay, where am I going next? We're going to Moorabbin. Mm. Like, right, I, I can't remember the rest <laughs> of that day, but I t- guarantee you one thing, X, the next day, we had a swimming session at a pool in St Kilda. I reckon I was there at 6 a.m. for, a, for an 8.30 start. Um, but that was, my, that was my first experience at St Kilda. And it did teach me a lot, like the, the, the six or eight weeks I sent, spent there in terms of, you know, diligence to task yeah, and, and, and all of that. And, and, and probably a long-winded way to answer your question was at the start of that six weeks, I thought I was no hope. Like mm. I just thought I'm going to be found out something silly here. It was, it was half daunting to go do but by the end of it, when I didn't get rookied, I was devastated because I knew I could do it. So, yeah. um, and and I'd, I felt I felt like I had a bit of a chip on my shoulder from there on in um, to try and to, to get the opportunity. I think it was the best thing for me to to not get picked up at that stage because probably realistically I wasn't ready. Mate, I've had so similar Sam Mitchell. Him missing the draft last week when I spoke to him was what sort of lit a little fire under him. We realised that. Yeah, okay, I've now learned a few things about professionalism and all that sort of stuff that, that goes along with just getting a kick of the football. But you were taking pick eight in the rookie draft. Was that a given you were taking or was it a surprise on the day? Because I, I can just imagine, and I was fortunate that I was um, drafted early and I didn't have too many stresses about the whole situation. But for someone who's been out of school for a few years, uh, missed a few drafts, the rookie draft's a, a, a big moment in your life and opportunity. Were you, were you locked in or was it sit and wait? Well, yeah, probably from that first period when I missed the, the draft with St Kilda, two years at Werribee. So my first year, and, and you'd be aware, like this is, I became quite um, discontented, I suppose, with, with the AFL system because yeah. you get told one thing after I trained with St Kilda and they said, oh, have a good year, go play VFL footy, yep. have a good year, and we'll talk to you at the end of the year yep. if, if you have a good year. And I made the team of the year that year mm-hmm. in the VFL um, came, I think, third in the BNF at Werribee. So I had a good year yeah. in, I suppose. But, um, but no no one called me. So, <laughs> again, it's probably that country mentality, isn't it? It's yeah. like someone says something to you, 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 you think they're going to honour it. And of course. Then I probably just reflected on, did I, have a, did I actually have a good year? Or, um, and, and my attitude probably going into that year was one year, BFL, and then I'll just go finish my degree and, and go play in the bush yep. and, and live in live in, live in Shep. And, again, I think, you know, when you get involved in a club like Werribee, which I'm still involved with now, like, the people you meet, the lifelong friends and the connections you have at a footy club when you're 20, 20, 20 years mm. old is absolutely unbelievable. So it was a pretty easy decision to play the second year and the coach, Simon Atkins, said, I'll, again, there's a few conversations along the journey that you always remember. And I'd missed the rookie draft the day before. We had training that night. And he said, um, mark my words, we'll get you drafted next year. And that was on the back of, he goes, we'll play you in every position. We'll get you to take the kick-ins. We'll, we'll all this. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, gee whiz, if he's going to let me take the kick-ins, he must have a bit of belief in me. So, But also I'm <laughs> coming back regardless because I'm going to get best on ground a few times with 40 touches. Yeah, so the back I come. But the next year I actually um, probably had a, had a really big year. Yeah. As, um, was that second in the list? Big, like, yeah, second in the list. Miles still won it. And um, I think even going into to that off-season, I was starting to taper my expectation on yep. 
on you know being an AFL footballer. So uh, as you kind of right off the top alluded to, would I be content playing VFL footy for a long time? And and that was probably where I was getting to. I was thinking, you know, maybe it's not meant to be. Um, but at the end of that year, I spoke to ten clubs. Jesus, ten, like um, so ten clubs, and you know, I was starting to think I was going all right. And, um, <laughs> and I remember I had a on the draft night, and, and I think the best move the AFL has made now is to move the rookie draft within a couple of days of the national national draft because yep. it was the days the national draft. Three weeks later was the rookie draft. Um, the only thing that it was good for was you didn't have to train for three weeks and you got back paid. So that was yes. there. That was of course <laughs> you you aren't you are only on, but you get back paid when you're on forty one thousand a year. Um, <laughs> but when you've come from a uni uh, background, it, it is it's the biggest paycheck you get. Uh, but mate, yeah, it was ten clubs didn't get picked up in the national draft, um, and that that again was was devastating. And yeah. and my parents were there on the night and kind of looked at me and and had said. Do you want to do this anymore? Like it's because they they ride the the wave more so than you, mm. um, and, and probably feel the letdowns more so than you. But yeah, come the rookie draft day, mate. I uh, Marty Pask, who was managing me, he played at Werribee, so it was a, it was an easy 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 sell because yep. no one else had talked to me about managing <laughs> me apart from the full forward that played at Werribee. <laughs> and he said, rang me in the morning, said, "Free, I'm going to take you." I'd actually been training at Essendon yep. for a week um, after the draft and. And Essendon had said, "We think you're gonna, you're gonna go. We don't know where you sit with us." Um, they said, "We'll take you if you're there at the end." Or, but you know, it's all everything in the AFL world. It, everything is just all hypothetical and yeah. and blurred. And you just want someone to say, "You suck," or "Yep, we're <laughs> going to take you with this pick." Yeah, absolutely. And it got right to the rookie draft morning. Yeah. And Essendon had a pick in the preseason draft, and I was like, "Well, if they're not telling me they're taking me there, then they can go jump." Well, I was, I was, I was off it because I was just wanted someone after four years of trying to say, "Mate, we'll take you." Um, but then the next morning, um, Frio, well, Mar- Marty rang me and said they'll take you with pick twenty-four in the rookie draft. And I was like, "Oh, that's good." Um, I'm, like so stoked! I was walking to the gym. And I was like, "This is kind of all validated now that yeah. I'm going to get picked up." Um, but but they took me with pick eight, so um, that was great. And I remember the day, a good mate of mine, Angus Graham. Do you remember yeah. Angus? Played yeah. at Richmond and then was at he, Adelaide. Where, where was he from? Was he a Tassie boy? If I made that up, where was he originally from? King Island. King Island. Yeah, King Island boy. Yep, Tasmania. Yeah. So Assumption College and King Island, and I was living with him at the time, and he goes. And he's very – I was talking about him just today. He's the kind of bloke that just said he, – he got a harder goal, but he just says what's on his mind. Mm-hmm. And, you know, sometimes it can be can be quite uh, devastating or heartbreaking, and sometimes it's the most uh, pure bit of emotional bliss you'll ever receive because it's so heartfelt. But he rang me after I'd been rookie to Frio, and he goes – and I'll try and put on his voice here, cause he's a big, <laughs> tall, dopey ruckman. He's like, oh. You've tried so hard to get drafted, and now you have to go to Frio. <laughs> <laughs> so he's he's given me he's given me the the wash up and said, "Mate, it's the worst thing you've ever, that's ever happened to you." But I was just I, I would have gone to the end of the end of the earth to, to get the opportunity. Was it was it Ross the boss or Mark Harvey at, at Frio at that time? Um, it was Ross. No, no, it was Mark Harvey. Sorry, and yep. um, 
yeah, so Harves was Harves was the coach and a great coach and kind of had two years with Harves. He was probably a bit of a bit of a victim of circumstance come his uh, second year when Ross took over. But you know, we all as a playing group, we loved Harves. He was and he's he's kind of of the mould of um, you know, I related super to him because he's he's a no fuss type of operator and mm. um, from Broad Meadows kind of embraces his, his inner bogan or his inner um, in a rat bag a lot, yep. and yeah, I, I was really um, not like yeah. I was pretty devastated when he when he got when he got flicked, but just because you build that emotion and 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 kind of you feel a, a real element of loyalty mm. um, to a guy that gives you your first opportunity. So it was halves, yeah. Mate, I remember. Um, I don't. You probably won't remember this night, but from we were at Hawthorne and Mark Harvey was under pressure, and you were reading in the papers over east. And we came over to and played you at Subi one night, and it pissed rain. It absolutely belted. You know, like a real WA rain. And we went to town on you. I think we twenty eleven. Yeah, it could be. Yeah. And we pumped you. And yeah. Mark Harvey didn't go back up to the box. He stood out in the interchange gate and got absolutely soaked for a long period of the night. And that was when I looked at Mark Harvey, going, mm. "I don't know what's going on. Uh, we've got a hold of you tonight." But it was just – I still remember – what's that, 10 years ago? I still remember Mark Harvey standing out in the storm, refusing to go up to the box. I reckon he knew that something was mm. going on um, behind behind closed doors. But he was just there. And you could tell he was a player's sort of coach, like the no-fuss sort of guy. You know, like, it's raining, it's wet, we're getting pumped. No mm. way am I going to go sit up next to the heater. And that, that I still remember that nice so clearly. Uh, Mick mm. – your first game, I'll, I'll, what what did you do in your first game of AFL football? If you can remember, I'm sure you remember. Well, leading into the game, X, I um, I, we had a tendency when we were probably at, well, I was at uni and even at high school days was to to cut your own hair. We used yeah. to cut out, cut each other's hair at school, and <laughs> and then leading into the first game, and even through uni, used to cut my own hair in the shower. Mm. I'm starting to run out of my hair, so. Have to kind of yeah, no more um, cutting. Be pretty careful with what I do nowadays, but no, nah, no more cutting. So I, um, I remember like the Thursday before round one. Like I got told I was playing round one on Thursday. Pretty exciting, but I still hadn't been a regular to the barber mm. or hairdress. So I just went and cut my own hair, and um, geez, I butchered it. Yeah, absolutely murdered it. So I had to just shave it, and uh, <laughs> it was a very patchy shave job. And I'd never done that before, and I was a bit like. Gee whiz, what have I done here? But and and kind of playing your first AFL game mm. and you're going to look like an absolute um, drop kick. And yeah, so I did, did that. Ran out and um, looked half sick. But yeah, had a had a very very nice memorable game. We smacked Adelaide and um, AFL footy was easy, mate. 33, 33 touches. Um, so so I'm told. And um, had two more in my last game uh, before I got delisted. So. 33 and uh, two and, goals. And two hot dogs. Yeah. And don't forget the hot dogs, mate. That That's incredible. I yeah. still – I remember I was, I was in Melbourne and, uh, Mick, it's um, – as you said, we ran across each other's path a couple of times. I remember thinking 33 and two in your debut, I thought, nah, fluke. That has to – like every dog has his day. 33 and two, uh, incredible. But then <laughs> in round six, in round six you won the Roscoe. The Ross Glendening medal with a with I think it was maybe twenty eight touches. Um, oh. Yeah, I was, yeah. Uh, to be honest, like it's um, uh, and I stand by the, this. I'd be interested to hear about your grand final. You, you do speak a lot about that the day on the biggest stage that you've ever been on. So that was the biggest stage I'd ever been on. So yep. 
probably the biggest stage for you was the grand finals you played on. Um, until then, that was the biggest stage. And I was packing them. Nervous as. Um, probably I, I only got a kind of sense of calm on the morning of the game when I went for a swim at Cottesloe with, with my dad. Mm-hmm. It was a really special moment, actually, because you go play your first game, they'd fly your parents over. And um, it, it for me, it was kind of validating your parents' involvement and, and the sacrifices they make. So I remember that the, the bit of advice I got in the morning from dad was very kind of calming and just be essentially just enjoy it. And that I remember like the over overarching feeling of pride that was beaming from them. And mm. um, that was, that was really special. And that, then I calmed down because I, I actually just thought, who really cares? Well, how you go, you've kind of yeah done it. Um, you've made it. So I went out, I stand, stand by this statement to this day. It was the easiest game of football I played ever at any level. Mm. For one, because you're playing with players of a level that you've never played with. So you're getting the ball where you want. You, every time you call for it, they kick it to you. And and the second part of it is just the expectation on you. If, if I was to get one touch, I would have been thrilled. So I remember I got my first handball pretty early on. And I was like, whatever, what happens now? It's a bonus. And and I just played with um, incredible freedom X. And, and from there... Um, game two was slightly harder. Game three was slightly harder. All because then there's expectation. Then you know the structures come into it, <laughs> and then um, yeah, you, you, your life uh, becomes a little bit more complex as an AFL footballer. I think you would have had similar situations or experiences in, in that grand final for Hawthorne. Oh mate, it's it's funny you say that when you and you've mentioned you haven't played with those people uh, before, and you know the level. I often say uh, when I was, was it, I think I was 20, um, I'm standing next to Gary Ablett. I'm standing next to Jimmy Bartel. I'm standing next to Corey Enright, Joel Corey. The amount of blokes that have had their pants pulled down by these people over their careers, what do you have to lose? Like, you actually have, you know, you grew up in a town of 300 with a pub and a general store. Christ, back home, people like me. Like, I couldn't give a shit about this. And, like, I think that was yeah. the attitude that I think a lot of con- – and we're talking about country kids. I, I think a lot of country kids get that feel a little bit that, like, I'm, I'm from the country. Like, I don't mm. really care. I, I, I don't know AFL footballers. I've never come across AFL footballers. I admire AFL footballers, but I don't know any of them. No, I'd agree. I agree wholeheartedly. It's, and as you say, I think the, the longer you go in your career or the the more expectation you put on yourself and – that, that's why it's it's refreshing to watch a player at the moment like Matt Rowell. Oh, incredible! Um, and and you know he he he'll, he'll be a little bit better, I think, than than you and I across the journey. But, <laughs> but he'll ha- he'll no doubt have have a he'll no doubt have a period where he just dips and yeah. and all this expectation on him at the moment. Um, and he'll he'll probably like he might uh, who do they play this week? Gold Coast, Freo. Yeah, you got oh, no. it. For, yeah, Freo. So they yeah. they might tag him. You know? You'll never have much more fun than when you kind of start out being an AFL footballer because you don't know where you stack up and, mm. and kind of when I figured out that I I could do it, um, yeah, it was pretty pretty cool. Uh, I think in that first year, um, and we'll get to your your leg injury. I think you had twelve Brownlow votes. So by round eleven, I think I'm I'm, I'm sort of I'm guessing round eleven. I think you broke your leg, and I think you had about the same amount of Brownlow votes. Uh, Juddy won it on thirty, so I don't know whether you were going to pin the thirty that you needed, mm. but you were re- you were absolutely red hot. What what do you remember? They're bad memories for you, but I mean it's a part of your journey. What do you remember of um, 
the day the day and I looked at it before uh, speaking to you and it when it, just because I it'd been so long since I'd looked at it and I um saw Reese Palmer come mm. in and he, like I forgot the part where you stood up and that for mine was the most one of the most gruesome things mm. I've ever seen I, I completely forgot about that what do you what do you remember about the day uh, the the leg uh, and 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 the months after. Yeah, the day was so, – so I think it was around 14. So um, whenever I do these – well, don't do many of them nowadays. Whenever you do the, you know, the, the talking circuit yeah. and whatnot, not, and you go around and, and the MC, that always bring up uh, – yeah, and without, without doubt, I'd always say first year um, – yeah, he was leading the brown line until he – and I was never – I think I was coming third. Yep. Or, which is a pretty – I suppose pretty surreal even saying that, but – I, I don't cut them off, X, when they say, they say he was leading the brown low. Um, but Juddy should have got rubbed out that year. He bloody whacked um, – he whacked Pav. Do you remember that? He whacked Pav. Pav got a big um, shiner under his eye. Mm. And, um, yeah, I, I think, again, with, with all due respect, it, it, I think it was a suspendable offence, 100%. Um, so you've wiped him off the leaderboard. Anyway, back back to the day, hey. Oh, so, watch, yeah. Give him the asterisks. But Give him the asterisks. Like it's, a lot of asterisks will probably be existing in twenty twenty. It's funny, like with Juddy. Uh, I, I don't remember. That. The, Sorry, was that? I don't remember the year with Juddy, but uh, there was the the Patch Adams um, arm twister. There was the pressure point. There was whacking the shit out of Pav. I mean, Juddy. Juddy was unbelievable. Yeah. He's one of the best I've ever seen. But goodness me, he could just mm. dodge and weave. Mm. Yeah, yeah, and I think probably back then, whether it did help, well, there, where there was a concession on the stars of the game more so than there maybe is nowadays. Um, yeah, I'm not here to speculate, X, but potentially there is. So <laughs> he, great player, and he won. Um, yeah, he, he won on thirty. So he, like Corey McKernan sent out a great tweet today. He said, "2020 is going to be the year of the asterisks. There's nothing wrong." With winning something that has an asterisk associated with it, <laughs> so true. You get that, so yeah. true. So now the day, mate. We jumped around a bit, but the day Port Adelaide. Um, the, Mark Williams was coaching Port Adelaide. He now coaches me. The, the way the yeah. world works is, is hilarious. But he, yeah. So Port Adelaide was smacking them, and again, I think it's one of those moments. Footy's a great leveler. I don't think I deserved the leveler I got in terms of the way I was thinking. I remember thinking really late in the game, how good is this? Like it's fourth quarter, there's five minutes to go. We're smacking port. We're in the top four. Um, I'm going okay. Like it's, I've had, had another pretty good game. My, my brothers were in town. Yep. My brother, my two brothers and my brother's now wife. Um, they were in town for the first time. And I was like, oh, I'm going to have a good night. We'll go out, have dinner. Um, Life's good. Like life, um, and then as soon as I thought that that floating kick came in from Pav, um, and it wasn't Pav, like it was come on Pav, kick on your right foot, mate. He kicked on his left. <laughs> Went back with it, and um, the the actual incident was kind of I, I can't remember it much. I remember marking it and um, like can't, couldn't hear anything, or I, it was just all happened all so quickly mm. but I remember a bit of an eerie feeling kind of or, or eerie silence kind of surrounded where I was um, and then I looked down at my leg and I kind of shaked it I shaked the leg and then it did I must admit it wobbled a little bit but I think in my head I was just so 
in the moment that, nah, this can't be happening. So I jumped up and that pretty quickly told me that we better um, better sit down here and wait for some assistance. <laughs> Mate, yeah, as I said, I, I, I remember it because I watched you closely, but um, I had forgotten the part where you stood on it and it, and it did bend and the commentators straight away were, were heartbroken. But you, at that stage, you hadn't just broken into Fremantle as a, as a fan favourite. Your journey as, the, as a 22, 23-year-old was something that people around Australia were following. I feel like... Um, when when a mature age player comes into the into the team or someone who's taking a different journey than the normal draftees, you get that wave of support from people that you probably don't expect. And you, Mick, and I'll you were a fan favourite at Fremantle and probably around the AFL um, pretty quickly, weren't you? Well, I, 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 yeah, I'm not. I don't feel comfortable kind of saying that, but I always no, no. But I mean, more more a lot about it. Being, more, more to the point of people would love to have a beer with you and, you know, you were a country boy and you'd done the journey. It wasn't like you were, you know, number one draft pick, paid a fortune yeah, and life, life's untouchable. That, that, that was – yeah, that was, that was the one. I think that was my – yeah, my go. I, I always thought, um, you know, if I was going to make it – and I'll probably have moments throughout my career or career where I probably wasn't, you know, the best version of myself in terms of um, – Potentially letting the AFL kind of thing get like very sporadic, or very, very rarely, but I think yeah. it happened at, at, at times where I probably forgot my upbringing and forgot, forgot, you know, where I'd come from. And, and those moments I think were fleeting. Yeah. Um, but I always tried to just live my life in terms of, um, you know, treat, treat like, like I was brought up, treat others like you'd like to be treated, um, have, have the time to talk and, and, Engage with people, um, you know, wherever it might be, clinics or or after games and whatnot. As you know, that that stuff can at times kind of wear you down a little bit. But it, it also, um, yeah, I think that kind of assisted with my my nature and, and potentially that element of, of people people like. I think what they also enjoyed was that, but perhaps there was a bit that if I can do it, um, you know, the mature age story and, and going through drafts and coming from country footy. Uh, there, there was an element of, um, you know, the, I, th- I suppose the common, common man or woman being able to relate to it. Mm. That, yeah, you know, I was. We look. We all look at Matt Fife now and think, and uh, think I can't do that, and mm. I never could. And and regardless of, I can't do it. But th- like probably myself was someone that, if I can do it, whatever the, uh, this person's field is, whatever whatever um, he or she does for a living, then. Or what their aspirations are, there's there's the potential just to, to follow your dream a bit. Yeah, I'm a hundred percent. It was like you were the reachable figure for so many people out there. But so your Fremantle career, and I won't keep you there too long. Um, you obviously you played um, football there for a long period of time, and it was at a, at a high level and average high disposals. Was there a stage where um, you know I heard Ross today actually say? Uh, sorry, I heard Ross say I was listening to a podcast just before, say that unfortunately for people like Mick, who could still be playing <laughs> AFL football, we had to send him to the... T- like, he, he did a podcast, I think it was two weeks ago, saying and in Mick's mind, his work rate and his um, ability to believe he could still be playing AFL. Did, did it, in the end, did it piss you off that um, you could still play in Fremantle, no dramas, but the club had taken a direction to play kids who weren't as good mm. as you? Did that piss you off? Oh, it did. Yep. Yeah, the short answer would be it did a bit. Yep. 
Um, but I, I had a good life, and I've, um, it's none to no illusion that my relationship with Ross Lyon is is of the highest, yeah, of course, highest. And the reason that is is because there was there was um, there was honesty and transparency uh, in terms of not not to the complete level that you would. Like, he never said throughout my last year at Frio that, um, you know, we're going to get rid of you. You can you can read along the along the way, and it, so many five or six players go through it at each club every year that they look around the locker room at the start of the year and think, I'm out of contract. <laughs> okay, um, who else is out of contract? How many people have we got get got to get rid of? And that was my year. And thing is, going into my last year at Frio, we'll premiership favourites going into round one and then three months later we're zero and ten yeah. so it, <laughs> it, it, you become a bit of a victim and I shouldn't say victim of circumstance I became the guy that you know there were play, other players I'd, that if, if they were out of contract and I had a year, year to run on my contract and I won't name that but there was there was players there um, that had similar kind of contributions to the Frio's really really strong period that if they were out of contract and I was in contract, they, they would have kept me in and moved on on these other guys. It was just I'm out of contract. I was um, kind of come out. I've come out of that kind of sweet spot of my career where not that I was earning, you know, the, the big dollars, but there was enough probably there to be like, okay, this can free up a bit of space for for someone that's um, a bit younger and a bit quicker and a bit bit skillfuler, mm. uh, or more skillful. So in in Short, like I was, there's so much frustration and, and, and as you said, you can be pissed off because I love living in Perth and I was seven years into a career, um, 28, so still like my last few games I played for Frio, I got injured late that, that year that I turned into a tagger about six years too late. Oh, well, five <laughs> years too late after um, Ross, Ross decided because I actually – flourished in the role and it probably was the thing that really attracted some other clubs to me when eventually it did finish up and my shoulder was hanging on by a thread and um it it probably got me across the line with with the gold coast because um i tagged for the last three or four weeks and that's why i'm always kind of indebted to ross because despite you know what was he, he kind of always gave me um an opportunity to right to the very end I'll, i will probably get to it but Played Death Valley or High Half Forward for the last three yeah. or four years of my career at Freo. The old graveyard and shift. The graveyard shift. So all I wanted to do was go into the middle. And eventually Ross said, right, you'll start in the middle, but you're going to tag David Zaharakis or you're going to tag Robbie Gray. Or, yeah. You're like, gee whiz, this is not really what I was <laughs> – this is not really what I was implying. But I did it. I, I, I did it well and um, kind of uh, added another string to the bow to get another opportunity at, at the Suns. The um, Ross, the boss, I've been listening to him a bit on Triple M at the moment, and he's showing a side that I never saw, and that's why I always thought that Clarko had him trumped, because they're both serious people, but I always thought Clark, I knew Clarko obviously really well, very funny. Clarko had a sense mm. of humour that would just lighten up a room when you're thinking, when you're thinking the world's against yeah. you and Clarko's going to blast you, he would have a joke or something funny. Ross the boss is quite funny, mate, but he was famous for his probably stern, yeah. straight down the line, media personality. Were you ever on the end of his big sprays or what was the biggest spray you ever saw Ross the boss deliver? Mm-hmm. 
No, well, I was. I was. Uh, the first day I met him, obviously, I was late to a, a time trial um, to secure us. So that was kind of set us off on the wrong foot. Um, he rocked up to Frio um, and he'd remembered it. So oh. this is the type of person he is. That that would have been 07 and he got to Frio in 2012. And as I said earlier in this podcast, I was a bloke coming up a country footy list, rocking up to train. So he has his attention to detail in memory is unbelievable. So I never even thought he'd remember me. But his first day at Frio, he goes, oh, yeah. I remember. I always remember you were late on your first day, and it kind of probably worked against you long term. Um, but he, you know, we we regret not taking you because we went to the VFL and you did what not. Blah blah blah. The bloke they took. Long story short, he sucked. Um, <laughs> but but the sprays for me were quite infamous. I, I, I think in terms of you you know X in terms of there's give me at Hawthorne and West Coast. Who were the blokes? One bloke that would regularly copper spray and kind of be the coach's go-to for a, for a spray. Oh, see, there was early, early – like, so Hawthorne were – Clark, I was trying to make a statement earlier. Sam Mitchell, he went to the top of the tree mm. often and, and went after the top mm. of the tree, which I think was what made him great was if he could hit the best players between the eyes, you weren't hard done by when it hit you between mm. the eyes, if that makes sense. So Sam Mitchell used to get it because also mm. he wasn't an athlete, so he couldn't keep up with some of the midfielders. So – Mitch would get, you know, outrun or wouldn't run from a stoppage and would whack. Uh, so Mitch, Bud, Bud used to get it left, right and centre as well. So it was almost like you were you were the underdog. You, you were the underdog to get sprayed because the good players got sprayed. Yeah. Yeah, Ross is a bit different. Like Ross oh, – no, Ross didn't discriminate. He, he got a few, like, famous sprays on Pab, which a lot of people have heard. But um, – I feel like I was, and this might be me just maybe being a bit precious, but I feel like I, I copped a bit along the <laughs> way from from Ross. But at the same time, I kind of, I, I kind of wore it as a bit of a badge of honour, um, not a, like a, a, a bit of, because I remember very, and I'm quite good at picking up on, listening to him in meetings and, like looking back on it, I was so privileged to play five years under him, mm. and people, are, you you say you're listening to him on Triple M now. We would have two to three moments a week, and I think you'd have the same with with Clarko, where you'd just be absolutely gobsmacked by what you've heard or seen him do mm. that no one else in the world, because he never showed that side. Um, some of the sprays in terms of they're half demeaning, but at the same time, they're educating. Um, he <laughs> is quite... Quite like quite brilliant at how he delivered everything. But in, in 2013, in talking about the sprays, kind of wasn't a, a. There wasn't one. There was I think six weeks in a row where I was living with Lee Spur at the time, and we'd run. We, we used to write in the book at the end of each game after each meet, meeting. We'd get home and kind of have this notepad, and we'd write what I got sprayed about during that game. <laughs> and you know, round round one, I, I still remember it because twenty. 13. Round one, I played on from a free kick um, and kicked it into the stands, but it was a free kick to the opposition, so it was 50 metres. So <laughs> that was like Mick. Yeah, yeah, Mick feels better about himself because he went and kicked the ball in the stands. So <laughs> no worries. Move on. Round two. <laughs> Next one was round two, Essendon. It was uh, Mick and his big mouth. So Mick decided to back chat the umpire, and <laughs> Mick's pretty happy with himself because he back chatted the umpire. Uh, round three, uh, I think I went third man up. Um, when 
and, and hit it outside the little package I was like, you know, the situation of game, yeah. pretty tight. Let's just let's just drop it in tight. I went up, thought, no worries, buddy Cal Bunga, hit it out in the space. And then probably the other ones were just probably biting off a bit bit more than I, I could chew mm. on the forty five degree angles and whatnot. So I had six in a row in twenty thirteen that were that were very memorable. And, and I documented them, but the, the one that really sticks out for mine was the training day because Ross could, was more 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 demanding on training than he was in anything. And we trained, so it was a main training. Matt Sim, similar to me, X, I think he probably would have been in the challenge team a, a bit. So the challenge team for those listening is Fremantle playing Carlton that week. Okay, we're going to a Matt Sim, so we're going to put 18 players up that are Frio that are our starting 18. And then I'm going to put 18 players up that are going to play like Carlton. And they're the challenge team. It's a good, it's a good way of saying you are the low, low flying fruit. Like you're down the bottom. You're just going to, you know, get out of the way and do, do what you're told. So out we go. I think I was Carlton. So, you know, you go, go out and play. I was probably Mark Murphy or something playing in the middle. Took the mark at half back and, and kicked it short into a 45, like kicked a little short one. And Ross is like, give it back to Mick because Carlton don't play that way. Like, threw it back. He goes, have another go. And kicked it in and, and did the same thing. So I've kicked it to a four. I've done – I'm like, what does this bloke want? I might have switched it. He goes, they don't play like that. Get off. So he just goes, get off. And I was like, righto, you big grumpy prick. So I, I was like – I started jogging off. And he goes – I jogged off to the side, so Frio Oval. I jogged over to the scoreboard, and I've jogged off, and I'm like, righto, I'm off, waiting, like, I'm thinking, righto, he's going to call me back on soon. And he goes, no, get off. <laughs> so we're halfway through training, halfway through matching him, and he put, he put, he put into the change rooms. He goes, get off. I'm like, did I just get expelled? So I had to walk around. I was furious. Like, I can. I was like, I don't mind you spraying me and, and, and all that and kind of make an example of me, but don't make me walk inside when training's still going. <laughs> um, but I went in, did my weights. I was bloody furious and and I still got – I think I picked, I picked that. I would have got, I got picked that week and all all of that. But <laughs> and I think I was actually probably playing good footy and, and regularly in the side at that stage, but that – that was – and Matt DeBoer copped exactly the same thing one time. Get off. Matty <laughs> DeBoer started running off and blew the whistle. Ross goes, no, 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 walk off. So we were like his little puppies <laughs> at times and it was um, quite remarkable. But that, that was that was probably the best one I copped. Oh, mate, I still um, – I still remember you telling me – and we'll move to, to Gold Coast. I won't keep you too much longer because I know you've got better things to do than speak to me. But we played you in a derby one day, Mick, and um, – I know where this is going, X. <laughs> <laughs> And I, I was, I was one of the biggest Barry Battlers of all time. But I, I thought you on half forward. <laughs> I thought you doing the graveyard shift wasn't your one wood. I thought you doing the graveyard shift. You and I could just slug mm. out a, a, a nil all draw, and we'll go home and, and get paid and go to bed and bloody have a beer or whatever. But I thought you had a serious injury at half time, and I was quite concerned about your health and well being because um, mm. we were playing on one another. But it wasn't exactly what it was, was it, Mick? It wasn't, mate. No, it was – so 2015 was the year and and it was a tale of two tapes of two derbies that year. We smacked you in the first yeah. one, smacked you, and then 
the second one came around, West Coast started to get their mojo going. And it was the year played in the granny. So you, you were going really well. And it was, um, yeah, early in the game, you guys pretty much smacked us off the park in the first quarter. And again, as you say, I was playing the high half forward. And oh, I've got to ask you, apparently Sharon Wellingham has a terrific name for it as well, the, the graveyard shift. Oh. Just have a think about that. So it's, it's it, I call it the you know Death Valley. We used to yeah. call it Death Valley at Freo, the high, high half forward. Because you're just caught in between everything, and it's you, you're either too far off or you're too too close, or yeah, it, it, it bloody no wonder I'm, my hair's going backwards because I played that position too long, but couldn't get a touch this day. I used to call it. I used, got, I used to call it. No, no, I used to call it a totem tennis pole. You know the pole where the ball spins around. <laughs> you're the pole, mate. The ball never. Yeah. The ball never lands there. You're just literally. Left, right, left, right, spin, turn, <laughs> and then the coach would look. The coach yeah. would look on the um, behind the goals vision, and that you'd be running around trying to kick. And the role of the high, the high half forward also was to protect the empty side of the ground. They'd be like, "X, why weren't you there?" You're like, "Cause I haven't had a kick, and I'm trying to get a kick. Of course, I'm not out there. Like, <laughs> give me some slack. I'm trying to survive." Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, you try and survive. You're like, man, I don't care if you have 25 possessions. I'd rather have five. And you're like, <laughs> yeah. you know what? All my mates are going to look at the paper tomorrow, see how I have five, and yeah. they're going to think I'm an absolute spud. But anyway, this day, I'll, I'll never forget, I had four possessions to half time, And I never knew how many possessions I had. I only knew, knew I had four because it, like, you just knew. I was like, literally in my head going to half time, thinking, when have I touched the ball? <laughs> and I think every time I got it, I mucked it up. But. Anyway, I think, yeah, you, you heard the story. I, I sat in the halftime meeting. It was like, righto, like just really, like just let, let us get back out there. And because I felt like I could run a marathon mm. at halftime because I hadn't even kind of been involved in any passages of play. <laughs> and Ross goes, righto, mate. Front of the group again, he goes, Mick, we need a lift from you. <laughs> you like, you, you fair income. We need a lift. And I'm like, righto, no worries, I'll lift. So they have the team on the board. I'm like, right, start on the bench. Perfect. So you want me to lift? I'm going to start on the bench? No worries. When I get out there, I will lift for you, Ross. So sit down. Start of the second half. Um, ball goes down. We're starting to get back in the game. I'm like, right, when's my turn? You know, you roll on the shoulders. Um, doing a couple of jogs up and down the boundary. They're like, Mick, you're going on for Ballas. Perfect. Where am I playing? Death Valley. Brilliant. That'll give me a good chance to get back in the game. So I'm standing there on the interchange gates, ready to go. And literally, the ball was stuck over the other side of Subiaco for probably three or four minutes. I'm like, and Ballas doesn't like coming off at the best time. I'm like, get this little prick off. As he's kind of starting to run off, starting to run over, Chris Bond, footy manager, who sits on the bench with the headphones on, goes, Mick, calls me over. I go, right, what do you want, Bondy? I'm, Don't worry, I've got it. I've got the, I've got the brief. He goes, you're out. Um, Hayden Crozier, you're in. I said, Bondy. I haven't even been on, I said to him, mate, I haven't been on yet. He goes, nah, not my call. Come from the box. And I just remember looking up at the box, trying to get eyes with this bloke, thinking, are you, are you like, without swearing, are you serious, mate? Like, it was, oh, I just, it was the worst feeling because I'd built myself. You can tell better than anyone putting the vest on. I'd only, oh. This is the only time I'd ever put the red vest on. Oh, it man. feels like 40,000 people's eyes gravitate towards you and I had to sit there for 60 minutes in the in the vest after you'd, you'd put me to sleep and West Coast went on to smack us <laughs> um, and I had some passive aggressive moments with Ross during the week. 
Mate, you're not wrong because I, I think I, I, I was the most subbed out player in the history of the game until when they announced the sub was going to be taken away. And then David Hale was subbed out in three finals in a row um, in 2015 to, I oh know, 2015 yeah. it was, to take my mantle. He got me by one. But you're not wrong because when you leave the game of footy as a supporter, often you know, as a supporter you'd go, righto, who, you know, imagine 40,000 leaving, 60,000 leaving. Oh, gee whiz, um, Pav was brilliant. Fife was great. And then automatically in Australia we go from who was good to who was shit. And you work it out really quickly, the person who's wearing the red vest. Straight away, they go, oh, well, you don't need to well, Barlow had the red vest on that day. Well, Alice has worn it fucking 33 times this year. You just work it out yeah. super quickly yeah. who had a shocker. Mate. It was, and just on that, it was, um, it, it, you're so right. I remember we used to, again, live with Lee Spur 2013. We'd drive home and be like, right, let's, and it sounded probably a bit, bit full of us. But you look at whoever's driving, the other bloke would be like, oh, let's have a look. Who played well tonight? Um, disposals, as much as the coach says, you know, don't yeah. worry about disposals. You're still thinking, right, how many do I have? All right, he had 28, 23, 22, up. And then it, after about, after the top three or four are done, you're right. It's like, all right, flick down the bottom. How many mix do you have? So true. Hey, uh, before we move from Frio, um, Fife, uh, I, I think he's the best player in the competition. Uh, but I think he's still a player that's got areas of improvement. I, we saw him on the weekend play full forward for a period of time. Mm. Oh, I think he's, I think he's the best player by yeah. You know, I don't think anyone's in his in his actual league. Where do you see Fifey? Was was he always on the cards? What do you remember of Fifey being a young kid coming in, or like you mm. know, a skinny little rake slash now a monster best yeah. player in the competition in my eyes? Oh, yeah, Un- unbelievable person. Like he's. He's one of my really, really good mates, um, Fife. You know, I'm, I, you, you know, don't say that um, lightly because he literally doesn't have many mates to his own admission. He, yeah. he kind of is who he is, has some really, like, really strong professional relationships, but he's got to where he's got to through just hard work, kind of deviating probably from the, the line of best fit a lot. And that's where me and him are really kind of chalk and cheese. As you said before, I'd, I'd really kind of go out of my way to, to kind of do things for people and, and kind of a bit of a yes man. But he, from a, not from an early age, when he kind of started to become who he was, he had to do that. He had to say, I've got to prioritise yeah. this, this and this and I can't overexpend energy doing, not the fluff piece, but just bits and pieces that draw energy from him because it would draw a lot more energy from someone like Nat Fife than it would from, from me because the expectation is so great. But he rocked in 65 kilos, I reckon. And I'll never forget in first year, so I got drafted the same year as him, but he was he was very incredibly raw, obviously, but also his his mindset was miles off what what was required to be an AFL footballer. He had the talent. But his mindset was miles off, but also what was miles off, and I think his his aspiration to do it yeah. was also not that not that high, which is fine. Like it's I wrote an article recently for the West saying he would have been happy to not be an AFL footballer and, and live in Lake Grace. And that, that was the way it nearly looked like it was going until the penny dropped, I think, when he when he naturally made the AFL team and played a fair bit of footy as that that kind of floating forward and then moved to a wing. It was it was visible for everyone to see that he's going to be a very, very good player. And it's up to him if the question mark was always there, does he have the appetite to be who he is now? But he's even, I suppose, far um 
exceeded that from my my perspective. And you know, I, I think he has the potential to win another Brownlow, and that'd be three Brownlows. And where does that put him in a discussion of, of the history of the game? Mm. And you, you've got to consider that that that's right up the top of the tree with with the other, you know, Lee Matthew. And you feel a bit uncomfortable saying it, but Nat Five is the the real deal, and right up in the discussions with the Careys and, and the Matthews and, and whatnot. If there's another Brownlow, if he can bring Freo through this phase that they're going through now as well, that will enter him right into that discussion. Oh, yeah, I wholeheartedly agree. I think the difference between uh, Matthews, and, and it's more of a situational part is, um, and it could have been for you guys in, in 2013, if Fife can get Freo to their first premiership, mm. that what that will mean to the Fremantle Dockers and being in Western Australia where... I know West Coast are the big brothers, but it's not like Fremantle are a small brother. Like they still have a ginormous fan base. Like if Fifey can get him to salute and get that premiership that they've so desperately want, and he might be 32, 33 when it mm. happens, but if he can hang on and have his three brown lows, because I, mm. as I said, I think he's the best player in the competition. You know, his individual stuff has been hugely, um, you know, obviously hot, uh, hugely documented. I think another brown low, like I think he could win another one. Mm. Uh, in the next couple of years, but you know where Frio are going to be at in the next couple of years. I don't. I, I see Frio kind of rising pretty quickly, but he he does carry a lot of the burden. So how much that takes out of him um, will be kind of a wait and see thing in terms of how long he can play for. We've all marvelled at what Buddy Franklin's been able to do to get to yeah where he's get to in terms of that um, contract. Fifey's still got I think three or four years to go on his. So fingers crossed for his for his body to hold up. Mick, the, uh, so you finished the Freo, and, I, and as I said, I won't keep you much longer, mate. You've been so generous with your time. You finished the Freo, you go to Gold Coast. You have another injury at the Gold Coast. Were you at the Gold Coast, um, and it's a question that a lot of people ask in terms of good players going to the Gold Coast. When you turn up the Gold Coast day one, what are you expecting? Like, Matty Rose, a good friend of ours, went up there. Are you expecting good football, or is it a bit of a... Um, I don't know, a lifestyle opportunity, uh, superannuation. Because until the last couple of weeks, like the Gold Coast are red hot at the moment, and I'm so thrilled for Dewey that they're going well. But oh, and, and you hear the contracts that players sign, and it's you know 20% above what was expected. When you moved to the Gold Coast, were, were you there to, to win games, or were you there to play games and help? No, I, I was – so coming out of – you know, when I finished at Frio, there was two kind of two two clubs that made some real interest in me, and it was Adelaide and Gold Coast. But at the same time, Gold Coast had kind of only came to the party late when they they had a player that had dropped off their list for whatever reason, to, and the dealers to free agency stuff popped up. And I, I would have just I would have gone wherever the opportunity was. My shoulder was really bad; like I had got this shoulder injury, fractured scapula, mm-hmm. and scapula ball and socket, and the nerve got caught in there, and so my my arm was limp for that period of the trade period and all that and I think there was some real well there was some real concern as to whether I could have gone on um you know it might have been two years the, the word was from a doctor it might take two years for it to get better but kind of when I went and met with these clubs it was starting to really get going and anyway lot, the answer to your question was that for, that Gold Coast I had kind of sat down with them and, and it's the first time I reckon in my career that there was a pitch but like they pitched that you will play, you know, we see you playing this role, like a, a tagging role as well as midfield, as well as a little bit of Death Valley without calling it Death Valley. They just yeah. said there's a role here for you yeah. because that we've got, a, we've got this is our list demographic and this is the, the stuff you'll fit. Whether it was a bit of a – and I, I don't hold 
I think we'd, we'd hold similar outlooks to, to opportunities. I loved loved the fact that I played at the Gold Coast and lived on the Gold Coast because it opened my eyes to a new a new system, a new way of being. It was a club that was you know, starved of success, but but to see what the what what we had to train out of. I was only there for six months, I think, or, or even less, three months when the facility was horrendous. Like it was horrid. Like it was it was out of makeshift sheds, boiling, uh, shocking humidity inside these sheds doing weights on young kids that need to put on weight and all of that. Um, everything was logistically so hard to do because you have to go change at one joint, walk all the way around the oval to go to the other. So now they've got a tremendous facility. It's a great ground. And I remember kind of getting this pitch that you wanted. And I got a pitch from Adelaide similar that we want you, we want you on your list, our list. But what does that look like? You know, the opportunity will be in behind you know, Sloan and the Crouches and, and all this. So whether it was an easier option, I, I wouldn't at all say that because at the same time I'd played against the Gold Coast that year. And I don't know if you've ever played in a game against the Gold Coast where it's clicked because we played Gold Coast early 2016, well, last year at Frio, and it was like playing – we never played basketball against the Harlem Globetrotters, but it was just like, holy smoke, this team – could do anything. They just were that stacked with, you know, they had Lynch, they had May up one in uh, either end. They had Sam Day, they had Aaron Hall, Gary Ablett in the middle. The, the blokes that kind of impressed me the most were Alex Sexton, guys that just with bits and pieces players. I was like, if this clicks for this club and they want me to come play for them, how good is this? And then I got up there and I kind of saw some reasons behind maybe the inconsistencies and whatnot. And, but those reasons weren't to anything to do with lack of appetite or it was just, a bunch of guys just trying to work it out on the on the run a bit. I thought, you know, there was a, a real lack of consistent leadership. I would call it. Yeah. So I shouldn't. Say, yeah, like a real and these young the, the, the thirst and appetite for leadership from guys like Tom Lynch and Stephen May was really evident. But whether they'd been exposed to a, to a good level of it for for long enough, I think was evident that that they hadn't. So long long answer, to, like short answer to your question. Well, I went there because I just saw some real potential that this yeah. club could make it click. And if they made it click, I was going to be a part of it. And on the on the contrary, if they didn't, they were going to lose a coach in Rocket, which they did, and then yeah. the rest is is essentially history. Mate, is, when you say, have you ever played against Gold Coast when it clicked, um, when 2015, West Coast and Freo, I think Hawthorne won the flag, but for a long period of time, we were one and two. We went over there to literally mm. lock up. I think we went to lock up top spot pretty much. And... Tom Lynch kicked the guy off the siren yeah, to, take, drew, to take the draw out of us. Yeah, on the siren, took the draw out of us, which we thought was doom and gloom at the time, and then the team dropped off or whatever. But, no, no I've definitely been at the Gold Coast when it clicked, and I think in the last three weeks is evident that uh, when it clicks at the Gold Coast, are you surprised by what's happening at the Gold Coast? No, I'm not. Like, I, I think well, no, they're two and one. Oh, I'm, I'm a bit cautious on them. But I, I really, I, I'm really kind of invested and hopeful that they, they go well and they, they showed that they could back it up last week. But at the same time, this they've been in this situation mm. the last four years. They've been – last year, a lot of people forget. They remember that they lost the last no, 18, I reckon. But what they yeah, were, was three and one, and a one-point loss off being – yeah, no, they lost round one by one point. They won three in a row and then they lost 18. So I'm very wary that it's – and I, I can just see that the, visibly it's changing – in terms of you know the energy and and probably the contribution across the board is is staggering at the moment, but 
if they they can sustain this, it'll be terrific. I just think we've just got to wait a little bit of time with the Gold Coast to make sure that that they can that that ability to, to I suppose the depth of contribution is strong because um, I think in the past it's fallen away a little bit. But from all reports, that the culture is tremendously strong. There's a real passion and love to be up there. I think guys like Brandon Allison and Hugh Greenwood have added you know significant. That, that probably the level of experience I spoke about, the lack that they had earlier, they've kind of topped up in that, um, targeted their targeted their guys they wanted to get in and and away they go. But gee whiz, Matt Rowell, he he goes, All right, I'm waiting for the first bad word to be said about that guy. I think it's a fair fair way away. Mate, I'll I'll let you go in two mm. secs. I've got two two last ones for you. What are you doing now? What are the ambitions for Mick Barlow? Is it coaching, admin? country where do you want to go and is there a story that you love to tell someone that you just want to say <laughs> well i have to ponder on that i've told a few stories tonight but no what i'm doing now man probably when i was playing at Freo, i always thought i'd i'd stay in stay in the west like i was very very settled down that that was probably part of the disappointment leaving because i thought i'd just fell in love with the place and was very very cemented in, in perth but at the same time going to the gold coast experience something different that also opened my eyes up to, gee whiz, I've been away from home for a long time and away from, from close family and friends and whatnot. So I found my, found my way back to Melbourne at the end of 19 or 18 when I finished footy. And, yeah, I have aspirations in a number of things, mate. So similar to you, there's there's a media passion and aspiration there. So I do, do a lot of stuff, freelance, a couple of regular slots, uh, have aspirations to, to go into play-by-play calling. So a lot of uh, practising in front of the TV on mute annoying everyone around me, which is going okay. It's, it's a t- tough industry to crack into. Done the one game for 6PR, which I was bloody thrilled with. And one game, if that's all it is, I was as thrilled and as kind of proud as, of doing that as, as mm. some of my AFL careers. So that, that's one part of it. I do some coaching and academy work with um, Simon Black Academy at the moment, which is kind of filling the bucket of the coaching and the, the, the admin stuff you kind of speak about. It's organising you know, young young people's lives and coordinating them. So there's, uh, I sit here as a 32 year old. Probably short short answer to your question is I don't know what I want to do, mate. And mm. I think you're the same. And I think that'll be the that'll be the case for a long, long time. It's one of those ones that we've bumped into uh, bumped into each other since we were 18 year olds. And yeah, you mentioned earlier that we were um, you were at uni and I was playing footy. I was nude in the bathtub and you were trying to look after me, but. Um, Mate, it's been it's been a pleasure. But I do I, I do see us at some stage crossing paths again, and it would be great to do some sort of show with you at, at some stage. And we do text each other. We have the last couple of years as a bit of a joke. Um, you know, let's let's do something. Let's do something. We need to do something because uh, I enjoy spending time with you. I think your personality is spectacular, and I absolutely have a laugh. And I've had six beers since I've sat down with you in the last hour. So, so it's been uh, it's one of those relationships, mate. I could sit there and yeah, listen to you all day. No, I appreciate it. Thanks for having me. Um, a story that, uh, that I want to just share. Pavlich. I think Pav's the golden child, does the sport on okay. Channel 9. I got uh, that. Yeah. There you go. Okay. All yeah. right, we'll, we'll go to Pav. Uh, Pav. Pav, um, super, super, super dude. I love always, you'll always know when someone um, asks about someone and they start with, you know, super dude, they're going to give them a bit of a spray or, or <laughs> whatever it is. Uh, or they're going to say something not so super about him. But you got to validate that he's a great guy, and he and that he is. Pav, um, he's a ripper, but I think he can he can be very very conservative with his with his dollars, and <laughs> um, he's got a lot of it. He's got a lot of it, which is 
a credit to him. But I remember I'll tell a story about, and again, if I, when I see him next, which uh, lucky he's living in Perth, he might give me a spray. Kepler Bradley, who's one of my all-time favourite in the world, Kepler Bradley, he's just the biggest hard-done-by person in the world. Nine one-year contracts or whatever he signed for his whole career. Um, couldn't read the board, Kepler. So he might even get on all Kepler. So he couldn't read the team, team board when Ross put up the magnets. And I sat next to him in a meeting, so I had to come up with a system where I grabbed his leg in a certain way to let him know that he was either playing or not playing. <laughs> and, and and he would – every now and then I would muck it up. Like I'd touch him the way – it sounds a bit um, erotic, but I'd touch him as if to say you're, you're not in the side, but he was. Not not deliberately. And he would just – because he, he was one of the great performers on the field, but he was always a victim of circumstance. Like you're a big bloody – lumbering lard, get out of the team, even though you've had 20 possessions, kick two goals. He'd sit there, and this is a story about Kepler, obviously. <laughs> <laughs> no, he'd, keep going. I love it. Sit there just, he'd, he'd sit there breathing fire. If I'd touched it, like I said, I oh, know you're out of the team. But he'd breathe fire. And then when they say, all right, everyone leave, apart from the team. And Kepler would get up to go leave. And I'd be like, mate, what are you doing? And he'd be like, fucking out of the team. It's like, bullshit. Bullshit. I'm like, no, no, no. You're in the team. Oh, oh, okay. okay. So he sit down and he'd rally and he'd and we'd walk out and he and, and he'd just like be like afterwards, like, mate, you gotta get it right. Like here I am, I can't read. So he's a play, AFL player sitting up in the back row of a meeting room, couldn't read. And he also couldn't I always found this bizarre. He couldn't he didn't have taste, kept like <laughs> didn't have taste. Can't can't taste. And Oh so he, and he's um but he can't whilst he can't taste, he loves pizza. Well, mate, why do you love pizza so much if you can't taste? Oh, you could be the richest football in history. All you have to do is eat noodles for two bucks. It doesn't matter what it tastes mm. like. Just eat plain noodles and you're going to save yeah. your coins. Yeah. So he couldn't read. Is that right? Or he couldn't he, see? Oh, he, he just had bad vision. Yeah, couldn't, okay. Um, couldn't read. I always found – I think nowadays the coaches have twigged on. They, don't, they shouldn't put the little nah, 100%. magnets they put on. They now put on like a big screen. Um, but Kepler – he had some deficiencies in a lot of areas. Um, <laughs> Kepler, he, he he tells a story about me when I rocked up the free my first time trial I did. So Kepler was on this stationary bike with Dean Solomon, and we just used to do six laps of or seven laps of the free oval as our three k time trial. And Kepler's up there. Kepler's a the kind of bloke that kind of doesn't. He, he's harder. Like you got to get to know him before he really, and he's got to get to know you and and your quirks and all that before he, he starts to kind of give you a bit. He's not rude, but he just. Yeah, um, just he takes a bit of bit of feeling out. So I'm up there, day one, doing a three k time trial. So off we go, ready, set, go. And my tactic was always to go out as hard as I could, and I'd go out bloody again. Like didn't really know how to time or pace myself or mm. whatever. So first lap, I reckon we'd run four hundred meters. I was winning by two hundred meters. Grant Birch used to call it free oxygen. He's like, I know I'm going to be in so much pain at the 2K mark. Why wouldn't I run faster from zero to 400? He called it free oxygen. Yeah, that is probably true. But by the 2K mark, I oh. think Grant probably agree with this, that you are absolutely <laughs> gassed. And in your head, you're like, gee whiz, I've got, I got a K to go. And Kepler was not doing the 3K, but he's up on the bike with Solly. And Kepler always says, he goes, I was up by 400 metres. So he turned to Solly and goes, have a look at this dickhead. He doesn't know how far 3Ks is. And he goes, he won't lie. Like, he's just, what a, what a dickhead. And anyway, I ended up holding on just to win, like just. He, he always says that that kind of 
uh, gave me a bit of respect from him because I, he goes, what, 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 are you, what are you doing? I'm like, that's just what I do. He goes, oh, <laughs> no, you got, yeah, you got, you got me. You got me fooled. But he, I can tell Kepler Bradley stories for for eternity. He, um, but this story, I'll tell you, I'll, I'll, I'll teased it with Pav. Then I'll, I'm, I can't put you out now. So. Pav and Stephen Hill and Pav. Oh, Pav, Stephen Hill and Pav. I'm only on my third beer, but I've, I've mentioned Pav, Pav, Hilly, Kepler. Right, okay, there we go. We've got they three. live over the same side of town. They live, we've got the three threesome. They live in Inaloo, and don't, don't take your, your mind to that threesome. They lived in Inaloo or Scarborough that way, and we had our Christmas party just before, like Christmas break up. So those three got a taxi in together to the left bank, which is just in East Frio, so we – all the rest of the boys that live in the right areas, we just walk down or, 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 get, or get dropped off there or drive there and leave the car there. They get the $60 Uber or the taxi and in they come, 60 bucks, Pav sitting in the front. And we've all been like, been through these situations. The richest bloke in the, in the taxi thinking in your head, surely they're going to pay for it. Absolutely. Yeah, they'll pay for it. 100%. Apparently Pav goes, roll up. Pav goes, roll up. What are we doing, 20 bucks each? No. <laughs> Kepler grabbed Hilly, who was he? Grabbed Hilly, Kepler and... Hilly in the back. Hilly, 21, the most nice guy in the world, just would do whatever he's told. So Kepler goes, nah, fuck that. Hilly, <laughs> get out of the car. <laughs> no, nah, not copping that. Hilly, get out of the car. So poor Hilly was in the middle of Kepler saying, I'm not paying for it. You're paying for it, Pav, because for one, you're in the front seat, and that's the rules. And two, you've got lots more money than, than me, and Hilly's not going to say anything because he's just the nicest guy in the world. So Hilly, get out of the car. So Pav ended up paying the have paid the 60 bucks. So, mate, so true. It's funny. Taxis and fares and stuff and footy clubs, and we'll wrap it up now. There was a player at Hawthorne. <laughs> there was a player at Hawthorne, and I was um, in an emerging leaders group there, and we went down and, and did an orientation with first-year players. And they drove from... Um, we, could, we, could, we could talk about emerging leader groups for those three years, like... Well, what's, if you're not in the leadership group, don't don't start this emerging leaders garbage where you're in the next six out of bloody... Ten, between 10 and 16, just admit that I'm not up to that and move on. If you're not in the leadership group or the emerging leadership group, you either have a drinking problem, a gambling problem, or from a broken family. <laughs> That's it. <laughs> yeah. well, that, that is the sign on the wall. Mick, thank you very much. Very much appreciated being on. Anyway, guys, thanks so much for listening. In the coming weeks, we're going to have Luke Hodge, Damian Martin, Dylan Buckley, Josh Kennedy from Sydney. If you've got any suggestions who you want to hear from, please get in touch with me. But again, thank you very much, Mick Barlow, Fremantle champion and all-round ripper.